Hello, I'm Ryan Tate, and welcome to History of the Pacific Northwest, Episode 11, Voyage of the Columbia, Part 2. Today, we will continue following Robert Gray as he voyages alone up the west coast of the Americas. On our last episode, John Kendrick was chosen to command an expedition from Boston to Nootka Sound in an effort to break the United States into the lucrative fur trading opportunities on Vancouver Island. The plan was for two ships, the Columbia and the Lady Washington, to sail to Nootka Sound, trade for sea otter skins, sail to Macau, where the sea otter skins would be sold, and after purchasing exotic goods in China, sail back to Boston. However, the two ships were delayed by Kendrick, who had wanted to spend an inordinate amount of time on the Cape Verde Islands. When the Columbia and Lady Washington did sail around Cape Horn, they were separated. Now, Robert Gray finds himself alone in command of the sloop Lady Washington with orders to continue on with their mission. There is evidence from Robert Gray's later writings that insinuates he was relieved to be on his own. If Gray had written anything during the expedition, which is likely, it has not survived to the present day. There are letters and journals of his that were written after the expedition, though, and in these, Gray often communicates his frustrations with Kendrick's leadership. When Kendrick was present, Gray would listen to his orders, even when he disagreed with them. Now that Gray was alone, he was free to carry out his task in the manner of his own choosing. Robert Gray had just finished rounding Cape Horn and was now on the west coast of South America. The further north he went, the better the weather got. He and the men were happy to leave the stormy sea behind them. Weeks of storms coupled with drenched clothing and frigid ocean temperatures had been both commonplace and miserable. Things were now looking up. Up north, they would find a plethora of sea otter skins and a fortune to boot. Gray hurried north with his crew, intent on reaching Nootka Sound before the Columbia did. Gray wanted to get there and complete his mission before he would once again be subject to the whims of John Kendrick. Gray refused to stop at several islands on his trek, but did briefly stop at San Ambrosia off the coast of Chile. He could not find a fresh water supply though. However, Gray's crew did manage to catch many fish and seals. The men took the meat and cured it, which took away all the vitamin C that it had. If they had made some of it fresh, especially the seal meat and fat, it would have cured the men of their scurvy, which was becoming a problem. By July of 1788, Robert Gray reached the ill-defined New Albion, the same New Albion which Sir Francis Drake had claimed long ago. The Yurok people rowed canoes out to the Lady Washington, but Gray continued on without any extensive meeting. As Lady Washington continued north along the Oregon coast, the crew could often see the light from campfires in the trees. Each of these were from the individual settlements and villages that lined the coast. When Gray reached Tillamook Bay, he saw a welcome sight. The Tillamook people had rowed out canoes and were showing interest in trading sea otter skins. This was the first time that they had seen the fabled fur. The men were fascinated as the sea otter pelt would shimmer and gleam a silver color as it was brushed by a hand. It was the softest thing they had ever touched. The Tillamook people were welcoming, offering berries and boiled crab to their guests. The former would have been immensely helpful in carrying the crew's scurvy. While in Tillamook Bay, the Lady Washington got hung up on a rocky shoal. 
The ship was pinned by the tides and the rocks and could not free itself. Gray knew that there was little point in trying to free the ship until the tides changed, and so he sent Robert Haswell to lead a shore party to find extra food and supplies. Remember, Haswell is really our only source of this sea voyage. All other journals of Kendrick's expedition have been lost or destroyed. Haswell was transferred to the Lady Washington after a fight between Captain Kendrick and himself. The young shipmate took a handful of sailors ashore, and the Tillamook greeted them well. They were welcomed with songs, dance, and more fresh fruit. A little side note, most sailors at this time still did not fully understand the affliction of scurvy. Some believed that setting foot on land was the best way to rid a sailor of scurvy. This would probably be reinforced when they helped themselves to fruit and watched their symptoms disappear. The British were on the brink of adopting lime juice full-time as their primary cure for scurvy, but it just goes to show that there was still a lot of ignorance regarding that disease. Anyways, Haswell and the men went to go dig for clams on the beach. While digging, Captain Gray's servant, Marcus Lopez, had set down his cutlass on the beach. One of the Native Americans stole the cutlass and ran away with it. As we have said on the podcast before, most Native Americans had different concepts of ownership, especially when it came to tools that were just lying around. In any case, Marcus chased the man who stole his sword. Haswell followed as well. While asking some at the village if they had seen Marcus, he heard the young man calling for help. Haswell found Marcus, holding the thief, surrounded by Tillamook warriors with spears and knives. Before Haswell could do anything, the Tillamook cut down Marcus to save their own. Relations having broken down quickly, Haswell and the shore party hurried to make their way back to the ship. Haswell recalls being grazed by a spear amid the chaos. As they rode back to the Lady Washington, the Tillamook were getting in their own canoes intent on revenge for whatever Marcus had done to the cutlass thief. When in range, the Lady Washington used their swivel cannons on the Tillamook canoes which caused them to retreat. Swivel cannons, or swivel guns, were small cannons mounted on the deck of a ship. They were highly maneuverable and allowed for more accurate shots than traditional cannons. The Lady Washington was safe for the time being, but still stuck and could not escape for the rest of the night. The following day, the Tillamook attempted one more attack. Three canoes carrying about 30 warriors each approached the sloop with bows and spears ready. The swivel guns were employed again, this time striking several of the attackers. The Tillamook warriors retreated once again after seeing the devastation of the swivel guns. The Lady Washington was extricated from the rocks and managed to sail out of Tillamook Bay, which Robert Gray would always refer to as Murderer's Bay. It is a curious incident. The Tillamook people were welcoming and friendly to Haswell when he arrived, only to turn and attack at a small incident. I can't help but wonder if there is more to the story, but unfortunately we will never know. We are left only with Haswell's account, but it is important to remember to practice a little skepticism when learning about history. I personally think that there was a little more to what happened, but I don't wish to blindly speculate, so we will move on. After the incident with the Tillamook people, Gray only traded with the native people from their canoes. He did not invite anyone aboard the ship so that he could remain in control and avoid any more violence. While sailing up the coast of Washington State, 
Gray and his crew spotted the Olympic Mountains in the distance. At that time of year, it is likely they were snow-capped. It would have been a beautiful sight from the sea. Gray would eventually reach Vancouver Island and stop at Clayaquat Sound. He met with a Nutkin chief who came on board the Lady Washington. The chief said several English names, which filled Robert Gray with dread, as he feared that they were not the first ones to come to Vancouver Island. The British had already arrived and were trading in the area. Gray would not have an easygoing trade venture like he hoped. Instead, he would have to barter aggressively. The first group of Nootkin people at Clayaquat Sound were interested in guns, copper, and chisels. Gray could not spare any of the guns he had, there was no copper on board, and the material for chisels was on the Columbia. Gray decided he would do his best and attempt to find a settlement that had not yet traded with the British. While sailing to Nootka Sound, Robert Gray spotted a ship which he at first thought was the Columbia. However, he noticed that it was flying a Portuguese flag. Now he was truly distraught. Not only did he have to contend with the British, but now the Portuguese as well. When Gray met the captain though, it was none other than our old friend John Mears. Mears and Gray had breakfast together and discussed their separate voyages. Mears told of how he had disguised his ships as Portuguese vessels to avoid paying the East India Company. He also showed Gray his fort he had built, which was more of a hut with a couple guns attached to it. Mears also remarked upon the Douglas fir tree, which he believed was so strong and sturdy that it would make a fantastic commodity. Rightfully so, Douglas fir was the main contributor to the booming logging industry of the Pacific Northwest. Mears treated Gray with an odd combination of helpfulness and deception. Firstly, he swore upon his honor that he had hardly managed to purchase 50 sea otter pelts, which was a lie. And he told Gray that the Indians of the island were so violent and savage that it would be impossible to winter anywhere on Vancouver Island. All of this was in hopes of getting rid of Gray. However, with all that deception, he also ordered the blacksmith to fix the rudder of the Lady Washington as it had been damaged at Tillamook Bay. Before they parted ways, Mears asked Gray if he had any letters to send back to Boston. Mears said he could take them back with him to China and ensure that they were mailed. Gray took him up on the generous offer and sent over 50 letters including status reports of the voyage. Later, these would be returned to Gray by William Douglas, who you may remember from a couple episodes ago. Douglas said that Mears was unsure of his destination, therefore could not mail the letters. Something tells me Mears was intentionally messing with the American. On September 21st, the Columbia and Lady Washington were reunited once more. Kendrick's ship had been battered bad by the storm. He had stopped in a Spanish colony in Chile for repairs. Luckily for Kendrick, he had left just as messages were pouring in to arrest any American ships found on the west coast of the Americas. The Spanish had heard about the voyage and assumed the purpose of it was imperialistic. Spain could not have the Americans trying to claim territory in the Pacific, which they saw as rightfully theirs. Now reunited, Kendrick and Gray had to make a plan to deal with British competition and still procure enough furs to make this whole venture profitable. The two decided to lay over for the winter in Nootka Sound. It was here that they met Chief McQuinna. McQuinna was described as physically fit, standing at six feet tall. He had long black hair, and there was a particular intensity to the man. All this was punctuated by his regal dress. 
He wore the finest sea otter pelts and never dressed in anything except for the traditional garb of the Nootkin people. McQuinna welcomed the Americans to his home. He was very hospitable towards his guests and traders alike. During winter, John Kendrick wanted to take some time to repair the ships and prepare them for the spring when trading would recommence. Among his plans were to re-rig the Lady Washington, adding a second mast and improving its sailing capability. Kendrick had the crew prepare lumber for the improvements, but the whole idea was not feasible. Kendrick would eventually abandon the plan altogether. This was one of those moments where Kendrick faced quiet criticism for his strange ideas and plans. In Kendrick's defense, it is important to keep people busy on long journeys and voyages. We today often imagine voyages as exhilarating adventures full of excitement. The reality is that most voyages could be really boring for those involved. Day in and day out, you more or less did the same thing. Boredom is never a good thing as it can often lead to other issues. Arguments, fights, apathy, and even mutiny can all start with bored sailors. Whether or not Kendrick's plan had anything to do with keeping the expedition crew busy is unknown to us. The project of re-rigging the Lady Washington eventually failed and as an added bonus, 15 water casks were stolen by Native Americans. This would have been a major loss to Kendrick's expedition as it was their only means of collecting and storing fresh water. Kendrick very smartly avoided reprisals against the natives though. He knew it would be unwise to start conflict where they were outnumbered in a foreign land and in a show of humanity, Kendrick did not want to accidentally punish the innocent. Kendrick's second project was to set about forging iron chisels for the next trading season. You may recall a few episodes back that many Native Americans prized the iron chisels in the early fur trade. They did not have access to large quantities of iron, and so they were willing to pay quite a bit for the metal. Captain Kendrick had a forge built on the Columbia so that his blacksmith could begin the work. In the process, he nearly caught the ship on fire, but fortunately for all, it was quickly put out. By spring, 450 chisels were forged and trade season was almost ready to begin. This is where I will leave our story for now. Next time, Robert Gray will set out to make a trading run in the spring of 1789 in hopes of procuring enough furs to make his backers in Boston happy. As always, thank you for listening, and I will see you next time.